Welcome, welcome everybody to another wonderful night of Tanya. We are moving our way through chapter 13 and we are about to conclude our, our initial overview of the Bainani. We're learning about the Bainani. The author wants to help us understand exactly what is going on inside the Bainani uh, because it's important because we are the Bainani. This is, this is us. This is we. We need to know what the Bainani is, what the Bainani stands for, what the Bainani's successes are, what the Bainani's inabilities are. You got to know what, uh, what your challenges are. You have to know what are practical and attainable goals, what's not. So, what did we discuss last week? Where are we going to? Today is going to be our last class in this initial uh, survey of of our initial survey of the Bainani. We are probably not going to finish chapter 13 today, but we will get very close to finishing it. There's one last point which is short, but is a little bit deep. We're going to save that for next week. So today's class may be a little bit on the shorter side. Okay. And... Um, the point that the author Rebbe drove home last week is no matter how high the Bainani goes, you have to always know your limits. And one of the key ideas that the author Rebbe told us last week is if you are a Bainani, you still have an animal soul. And not only did you not weaken your animal soul, your animal soul is actually becoming bigger. Your monster is growing. And therefore, despite all of your successes as a Bainani, you have to remain extremely vigilant. Beware of dog, right? What does beware of dog mean? <laughs> you just got to know that there's a dog here. You don't have to do anything different necessarily. Just know that there's a dog here. In today's class, the author is going to show us the highest possibility for Bainani. What would the most successful Bainani look like? A Bainani is one category, but it's a pretty broad category. The author once said there are up to 500 levels, different levels in the Bainani. You could have a low-level Bainani, like an entry-level Bainani, who just, just is barely managing to scratch through as a successful Bainani. And then you have the high-level Bainani, who's a you know, pretty borderline tzaddik. He's not a tzaddik yet, but he's high up there. And the author is going to show us today what that high-level Bainani is and still drive home the same point. This Bainani can't delude himself or herself that the animal soul is gone. You've got this problem on your hands. Okay. What would the most successful Bainini look like? So let's talk about, let's review a little bit what the Bainini generally would look like. The Bainini is a regular human like me and you. Like you and me. Like you and I, to be grammatically correct. 
So the Bainani is human. He has a godly soul, has an animal soul. But what the Bainani does is, he builds up enough willpower, enough stamina, to always tell the animal soul, I am sorry, we are not doing your agenda. So, whatever urges, whatever weaknesses, whatever temptations every human being has, the Bainani has those urges. The difference between a regular human and a Bainani is that the Bainani simply says, no thank you. Which is easier said than done, right? Obviously. You know, for example, just this morning, I got a phone call. And I thought I recognized the number. I thought I knew who it was. Turns out it was a spam call. So what did I do as soon as I realized it was a spam call? I hung up the phone. Very good. <laughs> That's what the Bainani does. The Bainani gets a signal to the brain. He listens in, okay, what's uh, what's cooking? What's the new signal? What's the new impulse? And as soon as the Bainani realizes that it's spam from the animal soul, what does the Bainani do? The Bainani makes an active choice. Hangs up the phone, out of here. Not accepted. <laughs> now, the other option you could do is say, you know what? Once I'm on the phone, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'll just keep on going. So the idea is that once we have a conscious grasp, grasp on what is happening, we have that choice that we can make. The highest form of a Bainani is the Bainani who is not even sensing those urges. You know why? He's so preoccupied. This Bainani is in such a good space. They're just involved in good things a whole day that simply their mind is too distracted, in a good way distracted, to even check into the temptations and urges and nourishkeiten of the animal soul. I think we could all relate to those moments where we've had those moments that we were involved in a very important mission. It was a busy day, we we're doing something, or we we're going somewhere, somewhere very exciting. And we were just so preoccupied that you know the, the, the basic urges of life, the basic weaknesses that distract us and pull us down, we weren't even tuned to them. We didn't even realize we were hungry. We didn't even realize. I'm busy. And just your life is so dedicated and you're in such a good place. So there could even be a Bainani that doesn't even ever get those urges from the animal soul. That's, is he a tzaddik or is he a Bainani? I don't get any urges. I don't sense my animal soul. So let's read. What does this look like? So let's start reading. Page 114. We're up to part three. The limits of even the greatest Bainani. The optimist is like this. Now, you might be a person who, in God's Torah, is his desire, and he labors over it day and night, studying the Torah with sincere devotion for God's sake. Think about a Jew who is so immersed in the world of Torah, of holiness, day and night, which means literally this person is, is in a certain way 
and he's surrounded by holiness. He's surround. He's in a good space, physically, spiritually, emotionally. He doesn't face the regular challenges that a human being faces all day. Day and night, he's studying Torah. He just doesn't take his mind off of it. He loves it. He's devoted to it, and he studies Torah for God's sake. He doesn't do it for any ulterior motives. He's really just connected to God. And his life is a life of Torah, of mitzvahs, of goodness, of, of service. It's his life. Let's continue reading. You may also find that due to your constant immersion in Torah study, the urge for self-gratification is drowned out. For whatever reason, maybe you're somebody who's not that hot-blooded, so in general, you know, the regular temptations and urges of the animal soul in general are not that attractive for you. And maybe you're just a person who just, you're in this great space. Like when I learned this, I try envisioning, what does such a person look like? You know, today where we have our, our cell phones and even the internet, our minds are very distracted. We're very distractible people. Think about it back in the day, if you lived in the shtetl. And, uh, you know, you, you weren't plugged into the news of the world. You weren't plugged into politics. You know, the, the, the grind of life was not a big thing for you. Let's say you're already in your senior years, you're retired. You're a simple Jew. And what do you do? You study Torah all day. You go to shul in the morning, you daven, you sit down, you eat a little breakfast, then you go and learn a whole day, and you love it, and you're immersed in this world. You study Tanya, you study some Talmud, you study some Halacha, you study the daily Torah portion. And then it gets dark, you go home, you pray, you pray, your evening prayers, say Shema, you go to bed. Life is beautiful. Right? Does it sound a little bit too, uh, a little bit too nostalgic? <laughs> a little bit too fiery? Like I, I mentioned him to you at a previous class. Like a little bit, I think about my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather, he passed away in the 70s, Rabbi Yitzchak Dubov. And he was like a mentor. He was a spiritual mentor in the yeshiva in Manchester, England. And um, he would come to the study hall, to the yeshiva, before the young students got there, before the bachram got there. And he would leave after they all left. He was in his 80s. All of his kids are married off. He, he, he worked till his last day alive. He loved Tanya. He taught Tanya. Maybe that's why, uh, that's maybe we're in my genetics. I love Tanya too. He would teach the young students Tanya. But he would literally sit and study a whole day. He would sit and study and he would give classes. You know, students would gather around his table in the yeshiva. He would teach. If students had questions, they would go over to him, ask him questions. You want to hear a little, a little cute, cute line? There was, a, there was a boy, he was a little bit of a troublemaker in the school, and a test was coming up. And this boy didn't really study that well, so he went over to my great-grandfather, and he said, uh, Rav Dubov, can you give me a blessing that I should succeed in my test? So my great-grandfather said, no, 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 you don't need a blessing, you need a miracle. <laughs> okay, so, you know, just, here's a Jew, his eyesight's not even working, he literally sits and studies Torah a whole day. He would sit over a Talmud and his eyes were basically touching the page because he had such poor eyesight. And he passed away at the age of 90 years old. He's in his 80s. 
morning to night, he sits in one place. He studies. He loves Torah. He's, he's there. His breakfast was one hard-boiled egg and a cup of coffee. He ate every single day the exact same thing at the exact same time. So, you know, this is not a person where his animal soul is constantly really sending him urges. He, he's in this great rhythm of life. He's in a great place. Was he a tzaddik? Was he a tzaddik? I'm saying, I, 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 I know my great-grandfather, but presumably, let's say he went through the last 10 years of his life, he didn't commit a single sin. Nothing, he didn't lose his temper. He's just, he's a happy man. Is that picture that I'm painting, is this a tzaddik or is this a bainery? He could go through 10 years, no sins. Not only no sins, 10 years, and he never even heard from his animal soul. Animal soul, you're still around? You're still okay? <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe his animal soul's gone. So the author says like this, you could even be somebody like this. You're immersed in Torah, you're so preoccupied, you don't even set the urges. Comes along, the author and says, don't let your guard down. Let's read. You still cannot assume in any way that the bad has been pushed from its place in the animal soul. The negativity is still there, even if you don't feel it. What the author says is, it's possible that the essence and core of that bad of the animal soul remains in all its strength in its place in the left ventricle. The author says, no, 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 no. It's still there. You don't hear from it, but it's still there. But you still got to be, all right? Beware of dog. Your animal soul with its negativity is still there. And if it, if it senses the opportunity, it can always rebound. It hasn't been weakened. It's still there. What the author says is, you know what's happening here? You're merely not sensing its presence. You know why? Because you're such a you're such a good place. You're so holy. You're so you're in a great space. You know what happens? You don't even notice the animal soul. But the animal soul is alive and well. Didn't go to sleep. Didn't become weakened. Wasn't compromised. Which means you're only lacking the presence of the animal soul in your conscious life. But in the subconscious. The essence, the presence of it is very much still there. Think about it in terms of like a battle. Sometimes, and Israel has to face this a lot. Sometimes Israel succeeds in keeping its enemies quiet. Israel can have an enemy for years, decades. They never heard from this enemy. Does that mean that the enemy is gone? No. The enemy is just simply there, but it's still, it's still, it's still strong. It's maybe even secretly preparing for another attack. So Israel, even if it didn't hear a certain enemy or a certain adversary in 20 years, doesn't mean that Israel could then say, you know what, I think the problem's gone. Look, it's been 20 years, no problems. Israel still always, always be watching its back. Yeah, we haven't heard from this enemy, but it's still alive. And, uh, and failure is going to be when we start ignoring it, when we start forgetting about it. So the author says, I'm sorry, you're a being, it could be you're a very successful place, but uh, but you've got a problem here. Oh, oven's beeping. Yeah, 
Do you guys hear the oven beeping? It's Mushki's birthday today, by the way. Mazel tov, mazel tov. Mushki, the oven's beeping. All right. Okay. So this is what the author says. You're even the highest level, the highest success level of a vanity. No forgetting that you've got an animal soul who's fully there. Let's read. Top of page 115. Despite never sensing the animal soul, this vanity hasn't really changed internally. Right? Internally, everything's exactly the same. Rather, the only achievement here is that the animal soul's garments, which are those being the thought, speech, and action of the animal soul, are not manifesting and not interfacing with the brain, the mouth, the hands, and the other limbs of the body. In active expression, there's no animal soul. But its existence is fully there. The animal soul's inability to actively express itself is because God has given the brain rule and authority over the heart. Right? The only, the only power that the godly soul has is when it comes to active expression, to conscious behaviors. But that's it. That's the only control that the vanity has. But it can't change the animal soul. It can't uh, dilute it. It can't dislodge it. It can't compromise it. That it can't do. And that's what the author continues. This power is what renders the divine soul in the brain executive ruler of the small city in all the limbs of the body so that they all become clothing and a vehicle exclusively to her three garments that are interfacing with them. Those being the thought, speech, and action of the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. So the godly soul, the divine soul, is able to make sure that the animal soul never gets active expression on the level of garments, and that only she, the divine soul, gets active expression on the level of garments. But, and here's the big, big, big but, the essence and core of the Bainini's divine soul, however, has no executive authority over the essence core of the animal soul. So in, in, in expression, you could control it. In existence, in essence, in core, nothing. And that's how we're going to conclude over here, this little piece. In a Bainini, the power of the divine soul is limited to the realm of active expression. But it lacks the power to affect the essence and core of the animal soul, as we've seen above. So, dear friends, here's the point. And I'm starting to sound like a broken telephone, I think. Broken record, right? No matter how high of a level you've reached, the Bainini has to know that you are merely controlling the expression of the animal soul. Your animal soul is in existence, period. And I'll just tell you something. There's many, many stories in the Talmud of great people, great sages, who many times in their older years have let their guards down and unfortunately went from the highest highs to the lowest lows. Here's an example. 
Here's an example. This is the classic that the sages always use this as an example. Who's the hero of the Hanukkah story? Who are the heroes? Let's get a few names. What do you say? Who are, who are the heroes? Do you have any names? You can unmute yourself. Assume Judah Maccabee. There's Judah Maccabee, but Judah Maccabee, you should, you should know, was not the leader. The Maccabean revolt was not his idea. He became the leader. But who was the original founder and creator of the uh, of the Maccabees? Was his father, Matisyahu. Matityahu. Matityahu was the original Maccabee, the founder, and the first one to do an act of, of violence. The original guerrilla fighter of the Maccabee guerrillas <laughs> was Matisyahu. Okay. And Matisyahu had a sister, Judith, Yehudit. And she was also, she also did a, a tremendous move. Um, she went and um, did an act of seduction to the, uh, to the Greek general. And she went to his tent one night, got him drunk, and beheaded him. And uh, so she, she did another very important move, which really, really crushed the spirit of the uh, of the Syrian Greeks. Okay, so we have here this whole family, the Mecca, you know, Matasyahu, his sister, his children. They're all in on this uh, Jewish guerrilla fighting group. Okay, but here's my question for you. They had a father, all right? This is the the father of, of, of a special of a special family. His name was Yochana. Yochana was the high priest for decades. The Kohen Gadol, the holiest Jew for decades. Yochanan Kohen Gadol, after 80 years of serving as high priest, became a heretic. Something happened and just something, something made him lose it. He became a total heretic. So he served in a holy position. He was a holy Jew. He had holy children, but he, he something, something, he went off the rails. And the Talmud uses Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan Kohen Gadol, as an example that a person can never be sure of themselves. Can never be sure of themselves. Yalta is diagnosing that for us. You can be such a holy person simply because you've reached such a great height that your animal soul just has no space in your consciousness to get to you know to get in. This person is so overwhelmed and preoccupied, my goodness, that negativity just, just doesn't even have a chance to speak up. And therefore, you could start getting in, you could start telling yourself and deluding yourself, you know, maybe I'm a tzaddik. I'm in a good space. So our sages tell us, Don't believe in yourself until the day you die. Don't say, wow, you know, I've been a good person all my life. I have nothing to worry about. Till the day you die, you got to stay vigilant. Till the day you die, beware of your dog. It could come and bite you. And Altabas says, maybe you've, you're in such a good space that you've stopped any sense of expression of your animal soul. You don't even sense its urges, which is amazing. You don't even get those urges. You don't even have to hang up the phone from the spam calls. You're never getting them. But it's still there inside of you. And you never know. 
It could it could come and attack one day. And you gotta know that it's there. Okay. That's what the optimist says over here. And by the way, the, the optimist doesn't say this, but it's an interesting idea that one of the key ways of curbing the presence of our of our animal soul in our life is by surrounding ourselves with goodness. The busier we are, the more preoccupied we are with good things, with holy things, with godly things, with mitzvahs, with Torah, the less space there is for our godly soul to have a presence in our life. You know, this is what the uh, the ethics of our fathers say this. That a man can't, a person can't be bored. It's not healthy for people to be bored. When a person is bored, you're leaving a big, big door open for your Yetzirah, for your evil inclination. The first step of everybody going downhill is boredom. Put yourself in a space where you're busy with goodness, good energy, good activities every single day, and then and then uh, and then you're in a great space. This is why you know the Rebbe very much made made a very big push and advocated that um, it's a crime that today senior citizens in America are left to be bored. You know, we, we call them the golden years, and some people look at that as just a cute little euphemism. But Judaism takes that very seriously. Uh, maybe the the physical the physical parts of the human are weakening, but in the spirit, it's they're they're stronger. The mind works even better when you're older. And it's not just the mind, but it's it's a it's a sense of connecting to something higher. Spirituality. Sometimes people people are, are have a better are able to connect better to deeper ideas only in their older age. Young people, young moms, you know, they tell them something spiritual, they have a hard time relating. The older you get, the more you realize, you know what, there's something here. You start appreciating it more. Seven said, senior citizens need to learn Torah. You don't retire from Torah. You study You study Torah until the last day of your life. So <clears throat> Rebbe made programs that, in, especially in the Chabad community, but the Rebbe wanted it to be all over. That the seniors should be learning Torah, they should be Torah programs up until the last day. As long as they can show up, they should study. It's a beautiful thing. And in the golden years where people are winding down, there's a whole new energy in studying Torah. So we should, that's a little little tip over here. The doesn't say it overtly, but if you see what the author is saying, you know, if we dedicate ourselves to Torah study, it, it, it brings more positive energy and it, uh, it helps us succeed more as a banity. Okay, but let's let, let's continue here. We're, we're towards the bottom of page 115. Okay, the author is going to say one second. There is one little time in the Bainini where the Bainini actually does succeed in, yeah, how do you say, serving a blow? Is that, the, is that the way to say it? You serve a blow? A blow to an animal soul. There is one little opportunity where the Bainini does get to actually compromise the actual existence, the actual core of the animal soul. And when is that, dear friends? That happens, like the author told us earlier, when the Bainini happens every single day. If davening, praying is done right in the morning and it's done with a proper emotional way, you actually could overwhelm the actual animal soul 
and incapacitate the animal soul for a little bit and have a little bit like a tzaddik moment. A tzaddik incapacitates the animal soul. And when the Bainani prays, if you pray properly, you could have a temporary moment of incapacitation where you totally overwhelm your animal soul and you go, you go further than just stopping its expression. You really compromise it. But the Alchemist says, yeah, that's true, but even then it's only temporarily. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not like a tzaddik. So that's what Alchemist is going to say now. Bottom page 115. The only time that the Bainani succeeds, at least partially, in affecting the essence core of the animal soul is when the love of God comes out openly in your heart at specific times, such as a time of prayer and the like. Oops, my pen working? My pen is not working. Okay. So that's true. When the when the Bainani prays, we learned this in the last chapter. Oh, prayer is a little time where you could put your animal soul to sleep. Where actually the animal soul's existence becomes a little bit compromised. But the author says, but even then, all the divine soul attains is a forced control and authority over the animal soul. You're not changing the animal soul. You're not changing its identity. You're not actually weakening it. You are coming with a very strong forced authority. And that's it. And that was going to explain a little bit more what that means. Unlike the tzaddik, the bainani does not actually change the deep core of his animal soul. He merely succeeds in curbing its desires temporarily. You fill your heart up with such a love of God that the animal soul is incapable in getting the heart to love anything else. But that, but that's a, that's a, but, that, but that's a brief moment. Page one, as the first days, one nation shall overpower the other, and the word overpower suggesting coercion rather than transformation, as the sages interpret. When one rises, the other falls, but when the other rises, the first one falls. Let me explain to you what's happening over here. The Alter Rebbe, to prove this point, that the Benini does not succeed in transforming, but rather succeeds at a limited, temporary, coerced control, the Alter Rebbe proves this from a verse, from, the, from Genesis. And we've actually spoken about this verse before. Where the Torah describes the destiny, the life, the trajectory, the life trajectory, of the twin biblical brothers, Jacob and Esau, who were polar opposites in personalities and were to be lifelong nemesis. And the Torah says these are not just two brothers who happen to not get along. These two brothers are archetypes. They carry the energy of history. Jacob and Esau represent the battle between holiness and unholiness the Jewish people and Rome, the godly soul, the animal soul. Jacob represents the godly soul, the divine soul. Esau represents the animal soul. And the Torah says, one nation shall overpower the other. And the altar says, what does overpower mean? 
It doesn't mean that one is able to transform the other. It means one is only able to coerce the other. When one rises, the other falls. <laughs> but when the other rises, the first one falls. Any change here is only temporary. That's what we see here from the Torah. Yeah, one could succeed at making the other one fall. But it's never a fatal blow. It's always a temporary process. Things could change. And the author says that's what's happening here in the Bainan. Let's continue reading. So, too, the divine soul strengthens herself and dominates over the animal soul through, through meditative prayer. She does so by tapping on the source of all strength, which is Bina, understanding. Right? That the godly soul, the divine soul meditates. That's Bina, uses the power of understanding, and then it can meditate. And when you understand something deeply, and when you deeply connect to an idea, that gives you the strength, the willpower. And what does that accomplish? Let's continue. She contemplates the greatness of God, the infinite, so as to give birth to intense love, like coals of fire, in the right ventricle of your heart. And at that point, the sitra achra of the animal soul in the left ventricle is suppressed. This is how the Benini is able to get a very strong edge and actually throw the animal soul off balance, suppress the animal soul, incapacitate the animal soul during prayer through the power of meditation to create a very intense emotion, an intense passion. But the author says, but even then, the negativity of the animal soul has not been completely canceled out in the Benini. I'm sorry. The animal soul is not canceled out. It's not gone. This happens only with the tzaddik, about whom the verse states, my heart is empty within me. The tzaddik could get rid of his animal soul. Only the tzaddik, not the baby. Right? As the altar continues, only the tzaddik is revolted by bad and despises it, either with an ultimate hatred and revulsion, as is the case with the complete tzaddik, or he detests it, but not absolutely, as in the case of an incomplete tzaddik, as we discussed earlier. Okay, so only the tzaddik is able to completely get rid and permanently incapacitate the, the, the Yetzirah, the evil within him. But the altar says, but in the Bainini, the bad in the animal soul is much like a person who is sleeping. And is capable of waking up at any moment. When somebody is sleeping, they're incapacitated. But we all know that that guy can wake up at any moment. So the author of it says, So while the Bainini is focused on reading the Shema and on prayer, the bad in the Bainini is as though it were asleep in the left ventricle. Yeah, you did compromise it. You know what you did? You put it to sleep. But that's temporary. For the time being, the heart burns with love of God, and therefore the animal soul is simply put to sleep. But afterwards, the bad can bounce back and wake up. The ultimate says, I just want you to know, even when the Bainini is at the highest spiritual experience, they're emotionally worked up, they're in love, 
they have this overpowering force of the divine soul. The Altar says, true. You can maybe even incapacitate the divine soul and put it to sleep. But it's only sleeping. It's not a coma, it's sleeping. At any moment, it can wake back up and it's right back in action. And we're going to conclude with this nice little piece over here. Now the Altarab is ready to answer another question from chapter 1. In chapter 1, let me just remind you, the Altarab first introduced to us or first introduced us to the terms Sadik Russian Bainani. But in chapter 1, we were still very confused. We had no clue what these terms mean. We knew that they're very important terms. We knew that these terms have something to do with our life's purpose, with our life mission, but we didn't have a good definition for them. The common understanding of a tzaddik is somebody who does mostly good. The common, elementary, unsophisticated understanding of Russia is somebody who does mostly bad. The common understanding of Bainani is somebody who's like, you know, 50-50, average guy, you know, does good, does bad. You know, not, he's a, not evil, not harming anybody, but you know, 50-50. And the author Rebbe wanted us to shatter that unsophisticated understanding of Tzadik, Russia, and Bainani. And the author Rebbe brought us many, many quotes from throughout the teachings of our sages to show us that that cannot be what a Tzadik. That cannot be what a Russia is. That cannot be what a Benini is. And one of the texts that the altar brought was a text that the great sage Rabba. Rabba was a Talmudic sage. He was not just a regular sage, he was a big deal. He was so holy that even the angel of death couldn't kill him. The angel of death is the angel that God sends. When it's time for somebody to die. We'll be learning all about angels in our upcoming course, by the way. We'll learn all about the Jewish understanding of angels and demons and spirits. It's a full lesson in our upcoming course, Supernatural, which I want to make a mention that uh, Joel Lieb has so generously and so graciously sponsored, together with his daughter and son-in-law. So Joel and Babs Lieb. And that's coming up next week, next Wednesday. We have the new course starting, Supernatural. Four-week course, very, very nice. Very beautiful course. Not too heavy, not too intense, not too overwhelming. Just very, very beautiful, fascinating Jewish learning about wonderful, wonderful topics. Okay, so let's get back to Rabbah. Rabbah was a holy guy. He wasn't. The Talmud says for, he couldn't get away from Torah study even for a moment. He was always immersed in holiness. Comes along Rabbah and he told the students, I'm a Benini. I'm, an, I'm for example, a Benini. His students said, if you're a Benini, you know what that makes us? That makes us chopped liver. <laughs> if the great Rabbah, Rabbah Barnach, you're only a Benini? Where does that leave us? <laughs> okay. The optimist said, how could Rabbah consider himself a Benini? You're such a holy man. You think Rabbah didn't know that he was holy? <laughs> you think Rabbah didn't know that he is 24-7 involved in, in Torah study? You think Rabbi didn't know that he didn't do a single sin his whole life? How could Rabbi assume that he's a Benini? Like, what type of mistake is that? Could you make a mistake? Yeah, I robbed the bank last night. Yeah, I did it, but you know what? I want to be humble. Yeah, I robbed the bank last night. Does that make any sense? <laughs> That's not even called humility. That's called stupidity. Utter stupidity. 
What's Rabba saying? I'm abandoning. What do you mean you're abandoning? Who are you fooling? It's not an option to say that he was just, he wanted to be humble. You know, a little bit of humility. Maybe false humility. He didn't want to run around saying he's a tzaddik. No, that's not Jewish. False humility is very not Jewish. False humility in Judaism is a sin. Humility is a virtue. False humility is a sin. It, it, it's stupidity. Who, who are you fooling? You're fooling yourself? No, no, no. Judaism is very much about embracing who we are. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to know who we are and not overinflate who we are, but not either to walk on false humility. It's a disservice to ourselves, a disservice to God. It's just. So how could it be that Rabbah thought he was abandoning? But now that we've explained the heights of abandoning, now we have an answer to our question. And this is how we're going to conclude for today. To page 117. Rabbah's mistake. Now we can answer the question that we asked in chapter 1. How was Rabbah able to consider himself abandoning? So, true. His mouth never ceased from reciting words of Torah. And his only desire was in Torah day and night. And he did it with desire, with yearning, with passion, with the longing of a soul that yearns for God with great love. Just like the love at the time of reading Shema and prayer. When he studied Torah, he didn't study Torah the way me and you do it. It was an act of passion for him. He loved it. He did it out of a love for God. He was a whole day in this hyper-emotional state of attachment to God. And that's our answer. Nevertheless, he only saw himself as a bainini who was in a perpetual state of prayer. As our rabbis say, if only a person would be in a state of prayer all day. What did Rabbi say? Rabbi said, you know what? There could be a Benini who's hyperly, emotionally, passionately connected to God. And he even put his animal soul to sleep, but he's still a Benini. Maybe that's me. Rabbi said, you know, most Benini's can only do it for an hour a day. Maybe, I'm, maybe I could do it 24-7. But Rabbi was scared to let his guard down. Maybe I'm still just a Benini. And if I'm still just a Benini... That means I've got an animal soul inside of me, even though I haven't heard from him in 10 years, 20 or 30 years, 40 years, I don't know. But maybe it's still there. Maybe I just put him to sleep and he never woke up. So Rabbah, it was a mistake, because Rabbah was really a tzaddik. But the author of it says it was a legitimate mistake. Rabbah wanted to make sure that you know, maybe I'm still abandoning Maybe I'm the highest level of abandony who's like in a state of prayer, but just I carry that state of prayer a whole day. So I never feel the urges, even my godly soul is sleeping. My animal soul is sleeping because my godly soul is so fired up. And Rabba knew the warning that the author speaks about. If you're abandoned, you can't let your guard down. You can't jump to conclusions that you're a tzaddik. And now we can understand how Rabba made that mistake because even, you know, there's even, you could even be abandoned who's in such a good space that he's not just preoccupied with good things, but he's in this intense, emotionally excited state that puts the animal soul to sleep. 
And that was Rabba's mistake. Okay. And there we have it. That's for today. What's the key messages here? The author ever wants to show us our potential. The author also wants us to be very realistic. No, uh, no jumping for the clouds. You've got an animal soul. It's alive and well. And even if you don't sense it within you, it's there. Don't let your guard down. Beware of that dog. And um, don't fool yourself that you're a superhuman. You are a human. You've got an animal soul, just like every other human being. We'll have to contend with it. And then, one more, Mikhail. And then, the author is going to conclude the chapter with one final little note. Which is a very fascinating question and a very fascinating answer. Is the Bainani being real to himself? Or is he somewhat of a fraud? If your whole spiritual life is in survival mode, that you're always like forcing it into existence, maybe you're living a lot. Maybe you're not being true to, to who you are. Maybe your whole service of God is delusional. Because you have to recreate it every single moment. Fascinating question. That Bainini is concerned, maybe I'm not being truthful. Maybe my spiritual life is not truthful. It's a fascinating question. I want to discuss with you. And the author explains and gives us a little bit of the Kabbalah of truth. Fascinating ending to chapter 13, which is on a very different note um, of what we've been learning previously, chapter 13, chapter 12. Chapter 14, the author then moves on to practical implementation. Now we know what a Bainani is. Next we have to learn, what do we do to be a Bainani? So now we've seen what the goal is. Okay? <laughs> what do I do now? What are the steps? So chapter 14 is going to start walking us on the journey of practically being a Bainani, why it's practical, and how to actually do it. And dear friends, with that, we conclude tonight.